Section 11 of A Flurry in Diamonds by Amos Chiptree. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter 14. I found Sloane at his office when I called, and he appeared pleased, though not at all surprised, to see me. Well, Mr. Hopkins, I suppose that the return of your diamonds and the girl's explanation of matters connected with their temporary loss have quieted the excitement up at Mr. Lindley's, and everything is lovely, eh? Not exactly, Sloane, I replied. In the first place, the diamonds have not turned up, and, in the next, the girl's explanation has had a disquieting rather than a soothing effect upon myself and friends. I don't understand you, sir, he said, startled by my words. You don't mean to tell me that the diamonds are still missing? That is precisely what I mean, I replied smiling, in spite of myself, at his embarrassment, as he grasped the force of my words, and that we are as much in the dark concerning them as ever. "'Sit down, if you please, sir,' he said in a low, rapid tone, as he quietly stepped to the door and closed it. I complied, and he drew a chair close up in front of me, and, seating himself, he said, quite anxiously, "'You say that you have not recovered the jewelry, and that the girl's explanation, whatever it may have been,' has complicated affairs more than ever? Please explain yourself, sir, as I own up to being shocked at your statement. My professional reputation may be at stake in this matter. It has turned out quite differently from what you predicted it would, Sloane, I replied, rather enjoying his discomfiture, then relenting. Perhaps we made a mistake in not at once informing you of the new turn of affairs, instead of allowing you to think that you had succeeded in clearing up the mystery. But when you hear what I have to tell you, you will perceive the reason why it was thought better to allow you to retire with a false impression rather than to acquaint you with the facts as they stood, especially as, at that time, it was not thought necessary or advisable to further employ professional aid. But we have reconsidered the matter and have decided to call upon you again, confident that with the new evidence at hand you will be able to assist us and at the same time redeem the mistake into which you were led. Sloane had by this time recovered himself, and also showed his appreciation of my regard for him in again entrusting the case to him, in view of his signal failure in the first instance. I then told him everything relating to the affair with which he was not already acquainted. When I reached the part pertaining to Kate's finding of the card in the safe, I thought I saw him start a little. After I had finished, he sat for a minute or two, reflecting over my statement, before speaking, then said, the affair has indeed taken on a different look, and one which makes it more puzzling to me just now than ever. I am alone responsible for the present embarrassment of yourself and friends, Mr. Hopkins. In what way? I inquired. By not attending to my business more cautiously. It is the little apparently unimportant things connected with this and many similar cases which are really the hinges upon which they turn, and it is the knowledge of this, and a careful attention to the smallest details, which often lead us to success. Oversight or neglect, as in this case, of some matter, which to you might seem trivial, may be the cause of much future trouble. If I had required that safe to be opened in my presence, the chances are strong that the card in falling would have attracted my attention, and being examined would have furnished positive evidence as to the missing diamonds. My services in this case would then have been at an end, as nothing would have been required but to send down to young Mr. Lindley's office for further information. He did not leave until several hours after that time, as you say. Therefore, there was ample time for you to have cleared up matters before he left. 
It was a serious neglect on my part, and one which I very much regret, as it not only misled me in my search for the supposed thief, but has also been the cause of much unnecessary trouble and anxiety to yourself and friends. I see still considerable difficulties in the way of getting at the facts in the case, but am ready and willing to do anything in my power to aid you, and to make amends for my great blunder. He seemed deeply mortified and cast down over the affair, and I tried to rally him by asserting our perfect confidence in him, and my own belief that he was making too much of a very small matter. Small, perhaps, to you, sir, but to me, whose whole reputation hangs on just such little slips as this, it is a most important one. However, that is past now, and the least said the sooner mended. I shall try to make up for it in increased vigilance hereafter. I judge from your words, Sloane, I said, to change the subject, that you are of the same opinion as ourselves, excepting only Mr. Lindley, that my friend Pierre is innocent of any guilt in taking the diamonds. Entirely so, sir, he replied, as all his actions go to prove, to say nothing of the folly of supposing a young man in his position likely to throw himself away for a few diamonds. How do his actions go to prove his innocence? Why, by leaving that card with the message behind him while he was at his office in town for hours after he supposed it had been read and laughed over, he replied confidently. But when it was found and read, it was neither laughed over nor understood, I said. So it appears. But I do not believe he is responsible for that, Sloan replied. In some way, whatever little scheme he had in mind for his amusement miscarried, and he left town in ignorance of the result. Probably, if he gave it any thought at all, he supposed that it had come out all right. His father's belief in his guilt? How do you account for that? I asked. It is rather strange, I admit, but Mr. Lindley is a practical, matter-of-fact man, and I should say difficult to convince of the innocence even of his own son, where the facts were so strong against him. In my study of character, I have sometimes noticed that parents will doubt their children's honesty without properly looking into the evidence in search of a motive for their acts. It may be a doubt that is born of their fears, as some people always take the gloomy side of any question, but it seems quite unaccountable. I have given you my opinion of Mr. Pierre's actions as founded upon your knowledge of and belief in him. Any other cause for his acts must be found out from other sources." "'What do you mean, Sloane?' I asked rather petulantly, as I did not like his words which implied my want of knowledge of Pierre's true character. "'I mean just this, sir,' he replied. "'If your friend did not innocently take those diamonds, and if his absence has anything to do with them, which I doubt, as you know, there is some reason for his acts which you would never suspect, but which can be discovered from some source.' Perhaps his father's knowledge of some such reason is the cause of his bitterness towards him. I do not say this is so, mind you, as I have every confidence so far in his innocence, and shall proceed in that belief to try and discover his whereabouts. Failing in this, it will be time enough to proceed on the other assumption. He then asked me the name and location of our club, and for the names of some of the members best acquainted with Pierre, for the address of Walter Clark, and also for the location of Pierre's office, and the name of his partner. These items he entered in his memorandum book, and then stated that, if he needed any further information from me, he would call upon or send for me. I suggested that the latter would be the better course, as his presence at the store, where he would probably be recognized, might necessitate some explanations to our employees, which, just then, I did not consider advisable. 
he coincided with me in this view and so it was arranged that if he wanted me he should make an appointment with me at his office i added that he could probably find me during the evenings at mr lindley's house and later at my hotel if the case was urgent he said that he should probably drop in at mr lindley's himself sometime during the next day or evening as it might be necessary for him to see the girl winnie and have her explain some parts of her story more explicitly and there were other reasons perhaps which might call him there which did not then appear as to the girl he said her statement to her mistress confirms what you may remember i told you that at the time i was questioning her i saw that she was not telling everything she knew that there was something of importance held back by her another thing her story shows that miss lindley had left the safe door open as the girl says that she heard young mr lindley close and lock it this is of no consequence that i can see except that it shows a natural cautiousness on his part not to leave valuables exposed the open window though is still a mystery no one yet accounting for it it remains with me an important incident and one that i cannot explain in any way consistent with our theory as to the disappearance of the diamonds however it does not affect the case just now and perhaps at the proper time it may be satisfactorily explained there is more in this affair than i anticipated mr hopkins and unless young mr lindley suddenly returns and explains matters it may be some time before we are out of the woods i hope not sloane in the interest of all concerned but like the rest must trust to fate i suppose i will not detain you longer and besides i have an engagement to dine with some friends at the hotel and must be going good day i arrived at my rooms and after dressing found i had some time to spare before my dinner engagement which was simply to join a little family party at the regular dinner of the house i lighted a small cigar and again ran over in my mind all the incidents of the past week with a view of straightening out many bewildering ideas which had from time to time occurred to me and to try to formulate some theory upon which i could firmly stand and honestly believe as the truth in this strange affair but the more i thought over it and tried to fit the various parts of it together the more i was puzzled to make anything of it miss hartwell's theories had seemed new and reasonable as expounded by her and agreed thoroughly with the views of sloane but somehow when i came to quietly ponder over the affair it seemed as much mixed up as ever in my statement to sloane i had given him everything which had transpired in connection with the diamonds since he had been retired from the case and also told him of the affair of the note and of the various theories and suggestions advanced by the different parties especially those of miss hartwell to these latter sloane had appeared to attach the most importance and they coincided in every instance with his own views i fancied that when she met sloane she would excuse his previous blunders as she called them when she discovered him to be of her way of thinking with regard to pierre's actions at all events i thought something may come of it all and as these people seem quite clear-headed in the matter while i must own to being quite befogged at present i think i shall leave them to work it out without interference or suggestions from me i was getting a little tired of the thing and it was a pleasant relief when the time came to go down and join my friends and in the social table gossip to forget for an hour or two everything in any way associated with the affair End of section eleven